Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the truth about the Bible. We are in our truth series. Uh, We've done about five or six messages of that already here since the beginning of the year. And um, we've got a few more to go as well before we get into the Lent season. Um, But the truth about the Bible is the theme for today, the most important book uh, in our life. We believe it to be God's own word, this ancient document passed down to us that gives us hope. It guides us in life. It teaches us who God is and who we are. And so this morning, I want to talk honestly about the Bible. And I want to start by reading a few scriptures to help guide our thoughts. The first scripture is Psalm 119. And we're going to start here in verse 105 and go to 112. So 119, 105 to 112. And it says this. This is a good verse right here. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing uh, praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life into my own hands, don't we all know it, I will not forget your law. For the wicked have set a snare for me, but I've not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They're the joy of my heart, for my heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Wonderful scripture there about God's word. The next one I want to read is Hebrews 4.12. And it says this. For the word of God is living and it is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates into us even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges our thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. And then the last verse about God's word I want to read is 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. It says this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love how this last scripture here from 2 Timothy says that we continue. We got to continue in what we have learned from infancy. From our youngest days 
there reading the scriptures. And this is true for me in my life. I grew up hearing scripture and the Bible stories at camp and Sunday school and at home from a very young age. They were a part of the understanding I had of God and what life is about and Jesus and his love for me. I was fortunate to learn the scriptures as a child. And I just want to say this to to open us on this topic today, that the Bible is for your kids. Yes, it's not just an adult book. It is to be taught to our children at the youngest of ages. We give out a beginner's Bible to every family that comes up for a baby dedication, you know, of their little infant there uh, when they're dedicated in the hopes We give this Bible out in the hopes that the parents will read that Bible and the stories and show them the pictures and everything at bedtime or whatever with their kids. The Bible is not just for grown-ups. It has a place in our home and should stay central in our life as we grow up through the years, through middle school and high school and college. God's word is there to help guide us on the right path and all those key big decisions we face and keep us connected to God. We are all called to be lifelong students of God's word. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and his commands, may they be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road, write them on the very door frames of your houses. That's what it says. Parents, this is a verse to you and me. We weren't given a manual, as we all know, on how to parent kids, but we were given God's word and instructed by God to teach our kids and to read it to our kids. For the Bible isn't just for our own personal use, but it needs to be a part of our home life. How we raise our children up. We're to impress it upon our children. We're to talk about it at home, driving in our car. It has to be a part of our family. Kids need to see it that way. I am so thankful that I grew up in a Bible-believing and reading family. My mother read her Bible on the couch in our living room every morning. Every morning when I got up, mom was sitting right there with her coffee and Bible and praying. And she didn't just have to preach it. That I saw her do it. <laughs> and my dad, he would lead family devotions for us. At times, times that we would gather and he would read something or at dinner, he would read a chapter and then pray. I remember this one time when I was about 12 years old, dad got so moved by Isaiah 53, where it talks about Jesus taking our sins upon the cross. It's a very moving chapter. And I remember dad felt like it would be a good idea for our family to try and memorize this chapter. And so my sister, mom, me, and dad, we did this. We started with one or two verses, and then each week we added another until we were able to say the whole thing together as a family. And to this day, I still remember 
Isaiah 53. But most importantly, I remember it because it was important to my father. My grandpa, he would read the, about the birth of Jesus every Christmas morning for us and tell us grandchildren what it means. And my grandma, she was a Bible teacher her whole life at church for high schoolers. She was a youth pastor before there was things like youth pastors. She loved the Bible and teaching it. And I remember her taking her Bible with her on family vacations. Every year, we would go to this cabin in the mountains, and my grandma would bring her Bible on every trip. And she would sit outside on a lawn chair before breakfast and read it. And she always had her pen with her and would, would underline verses that speak to her or write in the margins there about something that, that, that spoke to her. And then often she would have something that she would teach me from what she read. She would say, sit here, Danny. And then she would share something from her morning devotions that spoke to her. She would pass it on to me. And at some point in my life, this began to change me. I began to see the Bible not just as an old book or something for church time, but as an important part of my life in Christ and the main way that God was speaking to my family. I began to see the Bible, like Hebrews 4.12 said, as living and active. God was using his word to speak to his people and guide them in life. I saw it in my mom, my dad, my grandpa, my grandma. And I remember this one time when I was in high school when God first truly spoke to me about something in his word. I was reading the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, the story where the guy's walking down the road and he sees a man beaten up right the side of the road and, and he goes and he helps him. Well, as I was reading that, suddenly I just knew God was talking to me, telling me to notice the person in my own life that I pass by every day that is hurting and needs help. And it's hard to explain. But from then on, I just began to read the Bible differently. I read it expecting to hear from God. Another story I have to tell you is my first trip to Israel in 2006. And we flew in and we took a taxi from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And as we were driving, I'm looking out the window and the street sign says Jerusalem. And then another one says Bethlehem, exit here. And it was crazy. It was this surreal moment for me. I had only read these names in the Bible. And, and so now they're here right there. You know, we, we took the exit for Jerusalem and we came over the hill and suddenly before me is the old city walls and towers and the Damascus gate is right there. The gate that Jesus walked through carrying his cross. And so we stop and we're getting the bags out of the trunk and we're walking over to the hotel, and there is the Tower of David right 
in front of me. I mean, I was speechless. Everything that I had read about in the Bible since a little kid in Sunday school or heard from my parents or grandparents, these places really existed. And I knew that up here, but now I was seeing it and I was walking on those streets. I mean, I sat and read the story of Jesus dying on the cross 20 feet from Golgotha. I read the story again of the disciples out at sea when a storm comes up while I was on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. It was so real. It isn't fairy tales in here. It's real stories of a real God at work in a real word world. And, and that day, I even loved God's word even more because it became even more real to me. So let me back up just a bit here. What actually is the Bible and where does it come from? Well, the Bible is actually not a book. It is a library. It is 66 books put together into one. You can see that if you open to your table of contents. It's Genesis to Revelation. There are 39 books that make up what we call the Old Testament. And there's 27 books that make up the New Testament. The Old Testament is everything that happened before Jesus. It's the story of creation, Noah and the flood, Abraham. It is Moses and the Exodus and the Ten Commandments. It's traveling through the wilderness and entering into a promised land. It's the story of David and Daniel and Esther and Ruth and the prophets. It's this massive story that reveals who God is and what God wants. And then we get to the New Testament, and it begins with the birth of Jesus, his miracles and teachings, and the 12 disciples, and the start of the church. And a lot of the New Testament is really made up of letters, real letters that were sent by Paul to the church in Rome, or Corinth, or Philippi, etc., and they teach us in those letters how to live out our faith in the real world. They're deeply theological and also very practical. Now, in Jesus' day, all they had was the Old Testament. That was their Bible back then. Moses, he wrote the first, you know, five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They were written down by Moses in about 1400 B.C. and are often called the Torah, which is Hebrew for law. But then the other part of the Old Testament are the historical books like the Kings and Chronicles. And, and then there's poetic books like the Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which speak of wisdom or worship. And then the rest of the Old Testament are the prophets. And in Jesus's day, this was their whole Bible. There was no New Testament yet. It was written, New Testament wasn't written until 20 plus years after Jesus died and rose again. The apostles like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, they wrote down what they had seen and heard so that others might know. So the Bible that we have today wasn't all put together into one until around 300 AD when the early church fathers got together 
and put all these writings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the letters of Paul, combined with the Old Testament and made what we have today. But even then, people never owned a Bible back then. Only the priests had a copy of the Bible, and it was written in Latin because the world was Roman at the time. In fact, it wasn't, get this, until the 1500s that the Bible was first translated into English or any other language, for that matter, and with the invention of the printing press became something that someone could actually take home. And boy, this was a controversy. We take for granted being able to have a Bible. But it was a controversial thing back then. The church didn't want people to have a Bible. They were nervous that the uneducated person would read the Bible for themselves and misinterpret it. So the church even killed people who tried to translate it. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I read this story about William Tyndale, who dreamed of the day that every child could read God's word. And so he began translating the Bible into English about 1500. And it wasn't the government. It was the church that killed him. We can't even imagine how that would be possible today, but it happened. But thankfully, he didn't give up and others picked up his work and completed it. And the Bible got out and all around. We may not realize the gift we have in a Bible that most of our church history has not had. For those who may wonder if the Bible has been changed a lot over time. I mean, it's been around for 2000 years. <coughs> well, this is the remarkable thing. It hasn't changed. For in the 1970s, they discovered in the desert near the Dead Sea what has been called the Dead Sea Scrolls. These scrolls are dated 200 A.D. They're sheepskins dried up and rolled up like paper and are found buried in these ancient jars in the caves near the Dead Sea. They're authentic and they're the earliest copies of the Bible that we have. And when they were examined, they found this amazing truth that the words were identical to what we have in our Bibles today. Not just close, but the same, proving that over the centuries, the words have been carefully preserved and passed down. The Bible you have today is the same Bible the early apostles and church had. It's trustworthy. God has protected his message and word all this time. Now, a few truths that we need to remember when reading the Bible. First, all the Bible is God's word, and it is all true. But that doesn't mean we read every verse the same. What do I mean? Well, I remember as a little guy always being taught to obey the Bible. But then I started to read the Bible for myself in high school. And almost right away in those first few books of the Old Testament, I got to these laws and I was confused. For example, it says don't eat pork. But I had just eaten bacon for breakfast. Or I got to another verse that said don't wear two different types of fabric at the same time. 
but I had on cotton and polyester. Another verse said, women, keep your head covered. But I had never seen my mom in a hat or scarf. Another verse said, put to death the one caught in adultery. What in the world? Another verse said, when preparing a lamb for sacrifice, cut the insides out. Suddenly, this simple idea of read your Bible got very confusing. How do I read it? And what am I supposed to do with all of these Old Testament laws? Well, here is the truth that we learn from the Bible. And I say this carefully. We don't follow every law. Why? Because there's a difference between the civil and ceremonial laws of the old covenant that were meant for Israel for a time and the moral law, like the Ten Commandments and the teachings of Jesus that were for all time and everybody. And we see this truth in the Bible itself. For Jesus kept and taught the moral law of God and he even made it harder. He made it about the heart. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, do not even look lustfully at someone who is not your wife, or you have committed adultery with her in your heart. To the command, do not murder, Jesus said, whoever hates his brother from their heart has already broken this command. Jesus kept and taught the eternal law of God, and he told us to as well. But Jesus and the apostles didn't do the same thing with the civil and ceremonial laws that were made for a certain time and people. They still teach us something about God's holiness and call to purity and point us to the fulfillment in Christ, but there is a change. We aren't expected to obey those laws. For example... We don't sacrifice lambs anymore because Jesus is the Lamb of God who gave his life once and for all of us. Our women don't have to be silent or have their head covered because they now, too, have the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit fills them. It says male and female, and it says all will prophesy. We don't stone people in the streets anymore because there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We see this example played out in the story of the people who brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And they said, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus said, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. He was changing the civil law. But when the people dropped their stones and left, Jesus looked at the woman and told her to go and leave her life of sin. Here, we see the difference between moral and civil law. Jesus taught the woman the moral law, that adultery is still sin and she needed to stop it. But he removed the civil law, which allowed people to condemn her to death. Why? Because he would take her place. He would die for her. So you see, this is the truth about the Bible. We have to read it carefully. We read in the New Testament how it's okay to eat meat where it wasn't before. In the book of Acts, Peter is given a vision that it's okay to eat meat and to not call unclean what the Lord has now made clean. 
And Paul talks about how we no longer have to be circumcised to be saved. These are two major changes from the Old Testament laws. But the changes are to the civil and ceremonial laws and not the moral law. When Gentiles were coming to faith and receiving the Holy Spirit, the church leadership got together and decided what laws were they going to teach that these Gentiles were required to do. And they determined that the, you know, that the Gentiles didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to have all these Passover feasts and special days. But the eternal moral law of God applied to them as much as to anyone. And so we read in Acts 15, it says, they were still to abstain from idolatry, sexual immorality, etc. These commands were always for all time. So the truth is we got to read the Bible carefully. We don't change the moral eternal law of God. We are instructed to obey that today as much as any other time. But there are some Old Testament laws that don't apply to us today. But they still can teach us something about God. The second truth about the Bible is that when reading it, it says it makes us wise for salvation and equipped for every good work that God wants us to do. You read this, you're going to get wise and equipped because true wisdom comes from God and not man. By reading the Bible and studying the scriptures, we learn the truth of where we came from and who we are and our sin and our Savior and the eternal things of God. This world doesn't have those answers, but the Bible does. From the scriptures, I learn the truth that I am not alone, that I am not an accident of the universe, that I sin and yet I am still loved, that there is a reason for things, that God is in control. You see, the Bible makes me wise. Listening and developing a sense of self and right and wrong from social media, that's not going to make you wise. It's going to make you foolish. Following every fad or celebrity's opinion, not going to make you wise. It will constantly keep changing. We exchange the truth of God right here for us all the time for a lie of the world. We follow worthless things and we become worthless ourselves, only more confused and anxious as people. The Bible will make you wise. You know, the ancient eternal word of God, the unchanging word of God reveals what really is. And we should build our life and family and hope not on what is fleeting, but upon the rock. Think about your own life. Where do you seek out direction or truth or understanding? I learned from infancy where to find the answers to the biggest questions of life. God's word. My family taught me where to go, where to seek truth, where to hear from God. His word reveals my sin and my need for a savior. It makes me wise and it equips me for everything that God wants me to do. His word teaches me. Carrie and I just attended our marriage retreat. We had a covenant cedars and the and the speakers taught us straight from the Bible. They didn't just share from us their experience or from the latest marriage self-help book, or, but everything came back to the ancient words of God himself. For who better to teach us how to be married than the one who created marriage? 
He knows how it should go and how we must love one another and forgive one another. And he provides us the direction and help we need, teaches us the patience and goodness and equips us to have a happier home. The Bible equips me to be a better husband and father. This word helps me know how to be a pastor. All I need is right here if I would just read it, trust it. And obey it. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God breathed. Useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. That we might be equipped to serve God. Romans 12.2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will. And Psalm 119. It's a lamp unto our feet. And a light unto our path. We need to hear this truth today. Because our kids are growing up and listening to everybody else but God. They're trying to find themselves from what the world says. They got lots of questions about what life is and who they are and what's the meaning of it all. And what the world says is leaving them anxious and depressed and wrong and only leaves them with hopelessness. What they need is the Bible. Letting it teach and light our path. And then the last truth I want to mention about the Bible is this is that this book keeps us alive in our faith and hope and walking in his peace and purpose. I have had a hard time recently, and I am going to admit that. I am trying to to work through it. I don't know exactly what's going on in me. Maybe it is even a a mild depression or just burnout or, or just what all of us are experiencing these days. I'm not sure. But it's maybe just some discouragement or weariness, and I'm okay. But I can want to give up, not on life, but sometimes on people or what is important. I can lose some of my zeal today, and I can get tired of trying even. So I've had to do a lot more battle these days in my mind to stay positive, to stay loving, to fight the good fight. And God's word has really been so important to me. In this time in my life, it sustains me. Paul mentions in Ephesians 6 that the word of God is like a sword of the spirit in the battles in our mind. It's what we use to fight against the lies or the things that discourage us and want us to turn around. His word, his promises, his truth is how we do battle up here, because when we read it, we read about people like Paul and Peter and their trials and how God got them through and how God was faithful to them. We read about Ruth and Moses and David and others who faced real enemies and really big things, but God always came through for them. And this is the Bible. This is the story of God's faithfulness to real people, to needy people. These stories, as I read them, man, they breathe hope back into me, faith back into me. I get a new perspective on my problems and circumstances by reading it. For I see God's people facing walls and lions and rivers and fires. And I I see God's power show up and and his love for them. And, And I read the words, don't give up. I am with you. I see sinners like Peter fall and fail. And it comforts me to know that in my failures, God's not done with me yet. 
I read stories of God giving ordinary people mission and purpose to their life and putting a love inside their heart, and I am filled with new strength. For even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. The Bible is not just a rule book. It isn't just a story. It's how God keeps us going. I see myself in its pages. I hear his voice to me. It's how we stay connected. I hear the voice of the shepherd. I feel strengthened and empowered within its pages. I find his peace here. The devil would try to make me lose my way or lose my faith or lose my hope. But the Bible is the sword of the spirit that pierces through the lies and is like living water over my soul. Light unto my path. Psalm 119.97 says, I love your word. I meditate on it day and night. It preserves my life. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you are able to join us in worship again soon. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church programs and events, head to bccwaverly.org.